And welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 25, Invasion of Italy, part 3. So, you remember the time I said that we should be back on track with two episodes a month? I'm sorry, but this just didn't happen. I had a busy summer. I took a new job as an assistant principal here in Ohio, and I've been pouring my energy into learning the ins and outs of this new job. So, we don't have a uh, obviously a good schedule right now, but uh, I'm working on a system that'll get us a little bit more on track and start releasing some episodes uh, in real time here, or at least on a decent schedule. And certainly, uh, we will have some here in the near future because I do have a couple in the can. I've been writing some episodes uh, these last several months that we've been off, and I'm going to come up with some sort of system that kind of works so that we can have some episodes released still. So, either way, no promises, but we're going to have episodes released here in the near future and for the long term, and I'll do my best. As I get more comfortable with my new job, I'll be able to work more on research and writing the episodes and try to get back on track. But for now, my goal is to release an episode uh, every three weeks or so if I can. But that being said, let's get back to this episode and move on with our story. So last time we looked at the invasion and defeat of Radagaisus's Gothic Confederacy. This week, we'll be moving back to our Visigoths under Alaric and their final invasion of Italy in 408. Before we delve into Alaric's invasion of the Italian peninsula, let's take a look at what is happening around the world and give an update on the Goths that we have seen in our story so far. Starting with the lands north of the Danube, where our Goths were coming from. They are currently controlled by the Huns. The Grithungi are still living under the Hunnic rule. A good number, or all of the Grithungi, are under the control of Ulden the Hun. We know that there are Goths living in Anatolia, still residing in their homes after Gainus's revolt in Constantinople in 400 CE. Fravada and Saras the Goth, and several of their followers, maybe in the thousands, are working for the Romans now, the East and the West respectively. There are Radagaisus's 12,000 soldiers and their families who joined the Western Empire after the defeat and death of their leader, not to mention the tens of thousands of other defeated Goths that were sold into slavery after the invasion failed in 406 CE. After centuries of conflict and interaction with the Empire, there would be thousands of Goths and other barbarians living as slaves throughout the Roman lands. Finally, we have the Visigoths under Alaric living in the eastern portion of the Western Empire in Pannonia or Illyricum. They have been quiet since their defeat and retreat from Italy in 403, but they have not been completely idle. The intervening years have been spent rebuilding their forces and communicating with potential allies in the strangest of places, Stilicho and the Western Empire. The half-Vandal Roman has been vying for power in the Eastern Empire since the death of his benefactor, Theodosius, in 395 CE. Sometime in the mid-400s, probably in 405 or 406, Stilicho conspired with Alaric to retake control of the province of Illyricum. The plan was, supposedly, for the Visigoths to move into the province that was 
moved from the western control to eastern control during the reign of Theodosius, the Visigoths would then be given a permanent home in the province, and Silico in the west would have control of the province that is population-rich, and therefore soldier-rich, which the west desperately needed at this point. The evidence for the lack of soldiers in the west is evident by the use of the Visigoths in acquiring the province. This collaboration, which surely included the promise of riches, lands, and titles for Alaric and his people, may explain why they did not get involved in the invasion of Radagaisus in 405-406. As reported that by the end of 406, the Visigoths may have had their army on the move in pursuit of their goal of helping Silico gain the province. At the end of that year, we see the Vandals invade the western Roman province of Gaul. This event will redirect Stilicho's focus away from a possible civil war with the east to dealing with this new barbarian threat in the west. So, it is 408 CE. Stilicho has abandoned his plans to work with Alaric and his people to deal with a more immediate threat to the western empire with the invasion of the Vandals. Alaric and his Visigoths had already moved down to Epirus and had occupied the territory which, of course, was a part of the Eastern Roman Empire and would therefore incur the wrath of Constantinople. Alaric had already committed to Stilicho's plan to take Illyricum from the east, but has now been abandoned by the west with the invasion of the Vandals. With Stilicho's attention refocused from east to the Vandal threat in the west means that the Visigoths are effectively isolated and alone in a part of the Roman Empire that they are not supposed to be in, and now do not have the military or political backing promised from Stilicho in the West. The Western general could have and may have simply passed off the actions of the Visigoths to Constantinople, as Goths being Goths, and I had nothing to do with them invading your territory. I let them sit in my territory, and they upped and left to invade yours. In all actuality, Stilicho had received word during his time of tumult that Alaric had died and that the Goths were now without their great leader. Certainly, this would have flummoxed the Roman general if this was the reality of the situation. Alas, the Gothic king was indeed still alive, putting the Romans in a weird position, but Stilicho could still just deny, deny, deny if asked what these Goths were doing in Epirus in the east. Alaric knows that his people are in a difficult situation, but the person who created this mess for him could be the person to get him out of this mess as well. So Alaric sends a message to Stilicho asking for payment and lands for his people, or they will attack Italy. Reportedly, this was coupled with a request or a demand for nobility in the Roman Empire, leading us to believe, at least in the eyes of Herwig Wolfram, the great expert on the Goths, that Alaric was trying to force his way into Roman society as a high-ranking nobleman, which would give him, and by extension his people, a level of safety and security that they had sought for centuries. Alaric was indeed granted his wish. He was named Magister Militum of Gaul and promised gold. So the Goths are appeased for now. Stilgo has been dealing with the problems and threats coming from the north and the west portion of his empire, He's able to use three huge problems facing his empire, including the Goths, and his power 
against each other. Alaric would be charged with defeating the usurper Constantine III, who had rebelled in Britain and taken his troops to Gaul when the Vandals invaded Gaul, and Stilicho did not try to put down the Vandal invasion in Gaul. So Alaric is going to be attacking Constantine III, and then the Vandals, after he defeats him, in return for his appointment as Magister Militum. But things would quickly unravel for Stilicho. All while this is happening, the Emperor of the East dies, and Stilicho convinces Honorius, the Emperor of the West, to allow him to attend the crowning of the new emperor in Constantinople. Now, Constantine III was basically trying to legitimize his own owner, ownership of the empire with his fighting of the Vandals and other barbarians in Gaul. So Stilicho essentially does not need to concern himself greatly with these two foes since they are killing each other. But Alaric and the Goths are just sitting outside Italy and preparing to try to deal with the threats in Gaul, but will have to move through Italy that will cause many problems for the citizens of the northern Italian territories. But still, Stilicho plans on leaving for Constantinople anyway, which is a strange decision in retrospect. The wheels of treachery are working behind the scenes, though. And just a little bit of an aside first. Another goth that is involved in the story at this point, but in a tertiary sense, is our, in our, to our narrative at least, is Saurus. Saurus, as a reminder, was the goth that had split with Alaric during the invasion of Italy in 402-403 after the Battle of Palencia and joined the service of the Romans. In early 408, he was sent with a small force to attack the usurper Constantine in Gaul, and actually was able to earn a victory and encircle the rebel leader himself. Saurus was eventually forced to withdraw in the late spring of 408, but was welcomed as a victor by the Emperor Honorius back in Italy. During the difficult time period where just prior to the execution of Stilicho, Saurus and the contingent of his Goths attacked Stilicho and his small Bucciarali, or bodyguard force of Hunnic mercenaries in Benonia, stealing the supplies and baggage train of the half-vandal general. This served as the last piece in the downfall of Stilicho, where he would realize that he could no longer try to hold on to power. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on the death of Stilicho, because I know the vast majority of the listeners are familiar with the History of Rome podcast or many other sources about this famous Roman. But long story short, an advisor to Honorius and his other enemies spread rumors that the Vandal Roman general intended on putting his son Eucarius on the Eastern Roman Empire throne. Which, if you remember, Stilicho did marry Theodosius' daughter, giving his son a claim to the throne. So, this rumor is deemed probable, or at least plausible, and the enemies of Stilicho moved in. Essentially, he was cornered on August 14th and held for a week until he, with his son, were executed on August 22nd. 408 CE. After the death of Silico, many actions would be put into motion, initiated by Honorius and his new key advisor Olympius, which really was the person that pushed the hardest uh, as a rival of Stilicho for the downfall of Stilicho. 
But Olympias, through Honorius, would prod the Goths into open rebellion, leading to Alaric's last invasion of Rome. The money promised to the Goths in return for their service in the Roman army to fight Constantine in Gaul would never arrive. Initially, in order to put to death all Goths in the Roman army, hopefully you remember that at the beginning of this episode we reviewed that Radagaisus' captured warriors chose to fight for Rome when his invasion failed in 406. Since the men were gathered into their units and stationed in barracks, the family members of those warriors and many Gothic slaves in the cities of the Italian peninsula were the real victims of this order. Understandably, the Goths and other federates betrayed by the Romans were incensed at the loss of their families and immediately turned away from the Romans. The reason for the order is probably rooted in the fact that almost all of the barbarian federates had been groomed and recruited were done by the now-dead Stilicho. Traditionally, federates were difficult to manage after the death of the person within the Roman sphere that had built the personal relationship with that group of peoples. So after the death of Stilicho, the new leadership worried that these Goths would not be loyal to the Roman Empire anymore. This move proves to be the most impactful action in the post-Stilico-Roman world. The Federates would join Alaric's forces immediately, meaning that the Goths' forces would swell another 12,000 battle-hardened soldiers, bringing its total to just under 20,000 soldiers. The ancient sources would state some higher numbers, but most of the historians agree with just under 20,000 soldiers in Alaric's army at this point. Alaric's camp would swell with these soldiers and would also include the hostages that were exchanged back in 405. After the death of Stilicho, the hostages were released, as mentioned earlier, and Alaric released his hostages in reciprocation. Even though Stilicho was dead, it appears that the Goths are still trying to salvage their relationship with Rome by showing they were reasonable and fulfilling their part of existing treaties. Zosimus states that Alaric had sent envoys to Ravenna seeking a new treaty, hostages, and payment, after which he would then take his troops from their current position at the gateway of Italy into Pannonia, far away from their currently threatening position. Honorius's position was fragile in the empire, as it appears that Olympias, his closest advisor, and again, the foil of the recently departed Stilicho, controlled the army enough to cause a mutiny that would eliminate the loyal followers of Stilicho and threaten the safety of the emperor himself. So Honorius refused to entertain new agreements with the Goths. Alaric therefore sees no other way forward. The Eastern Empire was still fuming over his invasion of Epirus during Stilicho's failed power play. Since they couldn't move backwards, they must move forwards into Italy. The Goths left their camp in Amona at the gateway of the Alps into Italy and invade the peninsula once again. Before camp was broken, orders were sent to Alaric's brother-in-law, though, Atolf, who was stationed back in Pannonia, defending the former homes of the Goths and intervening years between the Goths' Italian invasions. Alaric does an assessment of the situation and concludes that Ravenna, where the imperial court is seated, is too well defended so, in late 408 CE, the Goths head to Rome. They march through the northern Italian peninsula via the Postuma, via Amelia, to the Via Salaria, to Rome, 
laying siege to the city in late October 408 CE. These events would lead to more or less consistent conflict for the Goths against and sometimes with the Romans for an extended period of time in the near future. And this is where we're going to leave it for now. As we wind things down for this episode, let's review the status of our players in our story. First, Silico, who we were introduced to back in episode 20, is dead, executed as a result of the back dealings of Olympias, the new advisor to Honorius, the Western Empire's ruler. Honorius is still Emperor of the West, but is safely heading back to Ravenna now. Constantine III calls himself Emperor of the West, is still in Gaul, threatening the Roman Empire and the Vandals. Vandals and other barbarians mixed in with them are in northeastern Gaul, threatening Constantine and other groups of people, both allies and enemies of Rome. The Eastern Empire is now run by Theodosius II, the nephew of Honorius and the namesake of the Theodosian walls built in the very near future, protecting Constantinople for a thousand years on. The Huns are still north of the Danube and the Black Sea, the former lands of the Visigoths and the current home of what would be called the Ostrogoths or the Grithungi, as we know them right now. And finally, Alaric, leader of the Visigoths, is encircling Rome and laying siege to it for the first time in centuries. And as Osimus states, the city was surrounded and supplies were cut off entirely. Inside Rome, the typical apocalyptic discussion started. Christians began to discuss the end times being brought on by Antichrist Alaric himself. The pagans began talks again about how the gods were punishing Rome because of the rise of Christianity and the loss of the true faith of Rome. And this theme will continue through the next couple of years within Rome as our hero here in our story right now, Alaric, will play a cat-mouse game with the Empire using Rome as the bait or using Rome as leverage against the Empire. So I'm going to put some maps on Facebook page here just to try to give us some reference points for some of these places that we've been talking about. Some of the sources that were used this week for our episode. The Visigothic Invasion of Italy in 401 by William Bayliss. Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski. And Historia Nova by Zosimus. And one last one, The Goths by Herwig Wolfram. If you like the show, please give a review on Podbean, iTunes, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews, as many of you already know, have a real impact on how many people and who gets to see that podcast and exposed to this podcast. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for more information and resources about our barbarians. A big thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.